I was able to go to school, finish school, have jobs, go to concerts, like live life. I was able to live life, to move, to sign a lease, to come to Los Angeles, like take vacations. I was able to live life. And I feel like maybe, and I say this um, not in a way that it's guilty because everyone, we are all deserving to live a full and fulfilling life, regardless of your legal status. But it's kind of like, wait, hold up. Um, You should probably start thinking of what are you going to do if this gets taken away, when it gets taken away. So I've been kind of like starting to think about that because now I'm no longer a, a child. And I think when you talk about DACA recipients, you're like, oh, these are young people. I'm like, girl, it's been 10 years. Right. Like, I'm starting to like put some night cream on because we are old at this <laughs> you point. You gotta whip out those Shout out to all my DACA cuties out there. Que lo que hay, mi gente. It's Constanza Eliana. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruit. Today, we are picking back up on our immigration episode with part two of the conversation. So if you haven't already listened to part one, we highly suggest that you go back and check it out. But this conversation is also great as a standalone episode as well. So don't worry. If you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a video podcast that focuses on the black and brown perspective on topics like politics, race, pop culture, media, music, and much more. You can find us on YouTube to see the full episode in all its Technicolor glory or listen to us on all podcasting platforms. That's right. What's up, y'all? This is Donovan. Welcome back to our show. In part two of this conversation, we shifted to dismantling the many myths around DACA recipients and immigrants, the resiliency of the immigrant experience, and whether or not children of immigrants feel their parents made the right choice moving to the U.S. It is so good. Ileana, this was such an interesting conversation, and I learned a lot that I did not know before. And what stands out to me the most is this nuanced aspect of the immigrant journey where many people come to America in hopes for more opportunities and the hope and joy attached to that idea juxtaposed to the reality of life in America as a black or brown person and how sobering that can be. This resonates with me as a black person born here in these American streets. It proves how alike we really all are. We absolutely are, Don. I also learned so much from our panelists, Yancy, Marisa, Elizabeth, and Stuart, who shared so honestly and authentically with me. It really was an honor to get to know them and share space with them. And we filmed this in LA, so you couldn't join us, Donovan, but I think you would have loved being with us. It was really special. I know. I really wish I could have been there, but I'm so glad we were able to facilitate this on our show. So... Let's get back into the discussion now. One thing that I wanted to say too is that I do see this actually come out in the immigrant community and I think it's that whole good versus bad immigrant narrative, right? As to who is more deserving. And, you know, Elizabeth, I don't know what your experience has been, but I've had, you know, I've had DACA recipients. I've had immigrant students even tell me like, well, I made it. I did this. I should get my papers, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of like, well, what about your parents and all the other people who make up the 11 million undocumented Mm -hmm. folks, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really changing that narrative. And then something that that I often do in my work is I am a white passing Latina, right? Mm -hmm. White people 
accept me as white when they see me or when they want to, I should mm-hmm. say, right? Cuando les conviene. Cuando yes. les conviene, right? And they draw the line and I've, well, that's another also long story <laughs> that we can talk about experiences that we've all had. Um, but something that I always tell, like I, I make a note in my class that I do is that as you see me is how I go to class, right? I, re- I hate wearing suits. I hate adopting what is professional, right? For mm-hmm. the notion of who defines professionalism, white people do, Right. Anyways, the notion of how important it is as this generation to show up as our true selves, and I like to challenge what is the notion of an attorney, what is the notion of a law professor, right? Because I even tell my students, like, how many of you have had a law professor that looks and acts like me and is my age, right? And they're like, none. I was like, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, and seeing that we, when we occupy these spaces, it's exhausting, but I, it's political, right? Mm-hmm. Our existence in these spaces is a political act in itself, right? And to be conscious of that and be rebellious when we take up that space. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can we just continue to do that and inspire future generations to also do that? Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to bring in DACA for a yeah. second because, there, again, there's so many misconceptions about this. So DACA has really been on the verge of extinction pretty much from, like, the Trump administration, probably before that. Republicans mm-hmm. have been talking about it forever, about how they really just want this thing to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you first, and then I would love to get a lawyer's perspective on this. Are you afraid that DACA is just going to vanish tomorrow? Um, I wouldn't say like afraid. I would say prepared. Mm. I'm expecting it. And I do have, I'll be honest, like I kind of have like a pessimistic view. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I really want to say like I'm an expert on DACA, not just because I have it. But I, I think when we spoke um, earlier, I said, you know, in a way, DACA recipients and people who are undocumented who just don't have DACA, we are kind of forced to be like our own legal attorneys because we are forced to keep up with the news. Like mm-hmm. the, DACA has been challenged like 10,000 times at this point. Mm-hmm. I remember when Jeff Sessions uh, announced that he was rescinding it. Yep. Then it went to the federal court in San Francisco. Then it went to like some court in Texas and <laughs> it went to the Supreme. I know the whole timeline. And at this point, I think um, I think we're expecting a decision to come in the next couple of months, but I'm just kind of expecting it at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, I think now, and I've talked to a lot of DACA recipients who are like, okay, what are we going to do? And yeah. I think for myself and my experience, I was able to live life. And by that, I mean, I didn't worry, right? I didn't worry whether it was with the uh, Obama administration, the Trump administration, and now the Biden administration. We've had three presidents now. <laughs> Nothing has been done. But um, I was able to live life. And by that, I meant I was able to go to school, mm-hmm. finish school have jobs, go to concerts, like live life. Mm-hmm. I was able to live life, to move, to sign a lease, to come to Los Angeles, like take vacations. Mm-hmm. I was able to live life. And I feel like maybe, and I say this um, not in a way that it's guilty because everyone, we are all deserving to live a full and fulfilling life, mm-hmm. regardless of your legal status. But it's kind of like, wait, hold up. Um, you should probably start thinking of what are you going to do if this gets taken away, mm-hmm. when it gets taken away. Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of like starting to think about that because now I'm no longer a, a child. And I think when you talk about DACA recipients, you're like, oh, these are young people. I'm like, girl, it's been 10 years. Right. Like, I'm starting to like put some night cream on because we are old at this <laughs> point. Yeah, whip out those red yeah. <laughs> like, We are not. I'm sorry. Like, 
I think I may look young, but we are not young <laughs> anymore. There are people who are in their 40s mm -hmm. who have DACA, and it's like, uh, what Peter Pan syndrome are you guys talking about? He's <laughs> young kids. The Benjamin Button. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, first of all, it's the rice and beans that keeps us young. No. Um, like, we're not young anymore. Yeah. And it just frustrates me so much that they think that we're still, like, young. And it's like, no, we want to, like, start thinking about having kids and families and buying yeah. a house and just living life but I'm just kind of preparing for for that to happen mm -hmm. but yeah I don't know what's going to happen with this whole administration um I watched the state of the union and he's like yeah time to pass an immigration reform like yeah no shit yeah. but like when, when and how are we going to do that mm -hmm. and yeah I, you know I've worked a lot with different organizations for advocating for the registry so that is already something that exists. It's mm. not a law. It's not being like it's something that exists. Right. But um, yeah, it was just it existed for people who um, were able to come to the United States before 1972, and they can mm -hmm. obtain residence through that. Mm. But that's um, uh, what 40 years ago. Yeah, like over 40 years ago. Yeah. So, um, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I like I do TikToks on my time trying to like educate like yeah this is what that guy means and yeah. a lot of I think a lot of people have this misconception of DACA Thank that you. you can like vote. And I've had people so many, I'm very open about having DACA, right? It's on my Instagram bio. I don't call myself like a DACA recipient. I call myself like a DACA cutie. So that's just me oh, trying to like, you know, one. change the narratives over here. Yeah. But people, I have so many times people have asked me like, so like, who did you vote for? And I'm like, girl, like what, on American Idol? Cause I can't vote. <laughs> Vote over here. So people ask, like, who'd you vote for? And it's like, for what? Like, yeah, I can. Yeah. But for who? And we, like, I, we also don't, uh, we're not eligible to get like food stamps. We're not eligible to like. So many people so oh, girl. have such a big misconception yeah. about that. They call DACA recipients moochers. Oh, yeah. Lazy. They just want a free ride. They oh, just want yeah. a free meal. Yeah. Yeah. And but then. I'm, That's not true. I'm lucky because I'm also in California. So I went to school in California, like college. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I was also, we're not eligible for federal financial aid. Mm -hmm. We're eligible for in-state tuition. And I also graduated debt-free because a girl is smart and <laughs> I got all those scholarships. Amazing. So, um, yeah, we, and the funny thing and the most um, thing that I find sarcastically hilarious is that, you know, tax season is coming up mm -hmm. and uh, you bet you guys, like, we pay our taxes. Yeah. And we pay so much. Like, girl, I pay more taxes than Donald Trump over here. Yeah. And <laughs> I cannot reap the benefits yeah, of, yeah. you know, social services. And it's yeah. like, wait, my money goes to that. Like, shouldn't I be able to, like, get that? And it's right. like, no. So, um, yeah, having DACA is exhausting. Very grateful for it. You know, it has opened a lot of opportunities for myself. But, mm -hmm. And I think t really quick touching upon, like, Latinos kind of fighting against each other. Mm -hmm. Even in, like, the, the DACA community, there is that conversation where it's like, I, I also know a lot of people who don't have DACA, who are older than like 40 mm. because they just didn't qualify for it. Mm. And now we have a whole new generation of young kids yeah. who are actually young, mm -hmm. um, who are now graduating college or attending college, who also don't qualify for DACA. So now we have two generations, mm -hmm. ones that are older and ones that are younger, who just don't qualify and this government's not doing anything. Right. So it's very like surprising I just got you know I was very lucky that I just happened to be born and brought to United States at a certain time right. but now there's also this um kind of like 
fighting a little bit where it's like, but I have DACA and right. I paid my taxes and that I'm a model citizen yeah. and mm-hmm. I never got a DUI. So I should be first. And like, I don't like that. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not just like me. And I know a lot of politicians, they love DACA recipients, right? Mm-hmm. Because we went to school, but whether we did or didn't, that doesn't make us better or more deserving of a citizenship, mm-hmm. but it's more like, yeah, I went to school. Yes quote unquote, I'm that model, you know, DACA cutie, but also like my mom, you know, like my parents, other people's parents who didn't qualify for DACA, who have been working for decades. I am not more deserving than my mom. Mm -hmm. And I am not more deserving than people who are in their forties and fifties who don't have DACA or younger kids than myself who also don't qualify. So we're not like better, but I know the government paints us as like, oh yeah, DACA people are going to be like the first in line. And I'm like, yeah. no, that's BS. Yeah. I'm not more deserving that other people. It's that same mentality that I think um, some Puerto Ricans have where just because we're citizens mm-hmm. and we have that quote unquote privilege that that makes us better immigrants yeah. mm-hmm. because we don't have to like do the illegal thing. We don't have to cross illegally. We don't have to do all of this stuff. And it, it's not the majority mentality, but I do see it. And I always think to myself, you know, you're kicking it with Dominicans, you're kicking it with Haitians, and you're living in the same areas, and you're probably marrying each other and blending families together. And this elitism that comes through of like, well, I'm better because I have this privilege that yeah. I didn't ask for, that was just given to me mm-hmm. because of whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost that same mentality. Yeah. Like, just because I was born between this time and this time. Yep. I happen to be able to have this privilege yeah, yeah. and these people don't. So screw them. Yeah. Yep, right. And I, I hate that to mm-hmm. the 10th degree because mm-hmm. there are just so many people who, you know, I, I honestly just got lucky mm-hmm. that I was brought to United States at a certain time period, mm-hmm. born at a certain, being a certain age, right? right? Yeah. You had to be like under like 16 before I brought to you. Girl, I was one. So yeah. like, sadly, but you know, my mom is not less than I am or someone who is, you know, there's also um, legally, going to my legal DACA bag for a second. (laughs) Um, If you, right now, uh, the way that DACA stands is only renewals. Mm -hmm. So if you have had DACA, you can renew. And people say it's for two years. No, it's like 16 months because you have to renew five to six months in advance. Mm -hmm. So you also have to pay $500 and now it's two payments. So in case if anyone knows, holla. Yeah. Um, But... If you, let's say you went through financial hardship, you had a parent, uh, medical bills, whatever the case, that you just couldn't afford, Mm -hmm. one, legal fees, because people like to renew their DACAs with the lawyer, because it's a lot safer, you know, Um, so on. And then $500 for the application. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people may not renew. And if you do not renew within a one year, it is called, is considered a brand new application. And right now USCIS is not accepting brand new renewals. Mm. So people have been kind of phased out of their DACA wow. uh, because they just couldn't renew in a timely manner for, you know, for whatever or reason. Or didn't have the money. Didn't have the money. $500 is still a lot of money, y'all. That is like, that could be rent money. Right. Like, there's gas money. prices, these eggs. Girl, that's expensive. Grocery money, so, gas money. Yeah. <laughs> so people have been phased out. So I always think about people who have been phased out and I know super close friends who have been phased out. And it's like, shoot, I my heart breaks for you. And I wish I could do something because mm-hmm. we are in the same category where you had it. Like mm-hmm. we got our fingerprints. Like yeah. the government knows that like, you haven't done anything wrong. Like, please just accept you again. Right. But 
you know, I've known people who have tried to reapply again just in case. And there goes $500 down the drain because they're, the government's not going to refund you your 500 bucks. And the emotional toll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think at some point, um, I think it was under... I think it was under the Trump administration when either some federal court, they struck it down and it said, no, DACA stays. It wasn't the Supreme Court that for like maybe six months, mm -hmm. initial applications were eligible mm -hmm. and a bunch of people renewed. And then again, it went to the courts and the court said no. So a lot of people it's turned in, yeah, turned in their application and lost that money because wow. once again, the court said, no, it's just going to be renewals. And it's just a bunch of BS. Yeah. yeah. And Marissa, I yeah. wanted to ask you from a lawyer's perspective, like you see a lot of different types of cases. You're dealing with all different sorts of ethnicities and countries and things like that. Um, can you explain a little bit like why you think DACA is in constant flux? Why there is that generational divide between yeah. that just that one group that was mm -hmm. able to get it and everybody else who was not eligible? And then also, I want to talk a, a little bit about the citizenship process, because it's very long. I just mm -hmm. realized how long it is okay. to, and there's so many steps to it. You were mentioning green cards, and then visas, and then citizenship. So tell us the process. Like, yeah. what is it? Um, one thing I wanted to say is that my clinic does do DACA renewals for free. So if you all are in L.A., okay. <laughs> I was going to ask them. Resources and we actually available. have access to funding. Nice. So I don't know when Amazing. this is going to come out, but call <laughs> at the Loyola Immigrant Justice Clinic. Yes. <laughs> Please, um, yeah. Happy to do your DACA renewals and happy to figure out if we can cover Amazing. your filing fee. Nice. Um, so, and then a couple of things too is that I wanted to kind of help bust some of the myths too that mm -hmm. people are saying. One is that I, you know, DACA in itself is not status, right? Mm -hmm. You're technically sort of still undocumented, right? Oh, yeah. It is called deferred action, meaning that basically you're low-lying fruit and the government's like, we're going to defer taking deportation action against you, right? Mm. And because of that, we're just going to give you a work permit. But that is it, mm. right? It does yeah. not open up a pathway to residency. It does, And then and another thing too is if you are undocumented in the United States or have DACA, you actually do not have access to any type of public benefit. Mm. So the only people who can access public benefits are U.S. citizens, green card holders, and certain people when they have certain humanitarian visas, right? So mm -hmm. if like you're a victim of trafficking per se, but nobody else. So that whole myth of like, oh, I'm DACA now that I can get, no, you know, you actually can't, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. And then I think the taxes, right? The majority of people who are undocumented do pay taxes. You can actually pay it with something called an ITIN, an individual tax identification number. You don't even need a social security, right? So I always like to add those things in when I can. Yeah. Um, we also can't travel. Yeah, so yeah. can't leave the country. Well, nope. oh, I can leave. Oh, you can't. But I can't, can't come, come back. back. You can oh. apply for advanced parole, though. <laughs> yes. So that was another. So mm -hmm. a couple of things I want to say oh, too is so that important. so advice that I want to give to DACA recipients, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off tangent no, from your question is right now, advanced parole is still an option. Advanced parole is basically a travel document that you can request from the government to travel abroad for either humanitarian, business purpose, or educational purposes. I run an educational program where I take DACA recipients abroad with me to engage in immigrant rights work. Mm -hmm. um, and it, one gives you the opportunity to leave and then come back, right? Mm -hmm. But it's really, really important that if you're interested in advanced parole, because it's risky, you need to w talk to an attorney who makes sure to check if you have any bars that can be triggered on your way back, right? Mm -hmm. The trick is if you have that lawful entry into the United States, it provides you a protection called 245A. I don't want to get too into the weeds of it, but <laughs> Girl, I know. you start talking numbers, my I know, brain I'm like, is I like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
offers you a protection that can potentially in the future help you mm -hmm. adjust status, apply for a green card, depending if you have an avenue of some way. That's all I'm going to say. But so if you're interested in advanced parole, please, mm -hmm. please, 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 please do it, right? Mm -hmm. DACA recipients, I feel, are used, it's basically a ping pong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're used to appeal to Democratic voters, right? Because it's that good immigrant. Yeah. Like, These are the ones that we're going to help stay in the United States. <laughs> the because, DACA cuties. Yeah, the DACA cuties, right? <laughs> And then it's used by Republicans. They're like, no, they're illegals and we're going to take it away, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's th that's what DACA recipients are. And I'm so sorry because I see how the this emotional toll takes on my students who are documented, my clients, us as advocates, because we're doing this work trying to figure out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. As to the future of DACA, it is uncertain, right? Because the Supreme Court that we have right now is crazy it's but it is girl. nuts like and we're gonna have them for a while and we're gonna have them yep. for a while and and they've issued other decisions where i'm like okay so you're ending mpp the migrant protection protocols but then you took away our rights here like what is going on so anyways it's very unpredictable yeah. right um so my best advice for DACA recipients has always been one if you can access that for advanced mm -hmm. parole right now do it right You'd be surprised the amount of times that we do consultations with DACA recipients and it turns out that they qualify for a form of relief and mm. don't realize it. I've also had DACA recipients who were subjected to labor trafficking, right? Like they don't realize it. Yeah. So the importance of like just knowing your rights. Mm -hmm. And and then again, going back to like the generational gap, I think it really comes down to that one, we can trace it back to colonialism slash American culture as being so individualistic. And again, this whole good versus bad immigrant narrative, yep. right? And the fact that DACA recipients, and that's another thing is that we talk about, like we've talked about in my clinic with my colleagues, is like the importance of highlighting DACA recipients who aren't your doctors and your lawyers, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Yes. But who are then, you know, hardworking and then they're supporting their family of four, right? Mm -hmm. And they're supporting their parents and like how those stories also have to be elevated, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So... As to the future of DACA, I wish I could say that I was, I'm really Optimistic. uncertain. Optimistic? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just uncertainty. So it's yeah. really important right now that take advantage of these programs mm -hmm. that you can right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then oh, the other thing that I always tell my DACA recipients, I've had so many DACA recipients lose, because you can lose your DACA too by simple convictions, right? Mm -hmm. DUI. DUI is incredibly common. Everyone and their mom has a DUI, mm -hmm. but it uh, does cause you to lose your DACA. Yes. Another mm -hmm. thing too is, I know weed is legal in LA, Right, yeah. in California, Not it's still we're, the, we're the haven over yeah. here. Yeah. Federally, it's illegal, which is you as a DACA recipient, because federal laws apply to you, should probably not be smoking weed, right? right? Because I have had incidences before where clients travel out of state or they go on advanced parole and they tell the CBP officer, like, yeah, I smoke weed from time to time. And that's an immigration bar, right? Mm -hmm. So those are always the tidbits that I love yeah. to tell my, my documented wow. students, I mean, clients, but... um. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot to think. I mean, I, I as you're talking, I'm like, there's so much to think about. And anytime there's a fear or a limitation, it's going to guide the way that you choose to move in the world, right? Yeah, like yeah. the decisions that you make, it's no longer just, oh, yeah, I can just go out the door, go grab a job and pay my rent, right? Now it's like, okay, but when I walk out the door, is it going to be safe? And who am I going to talk to? And can I say this? And you know, how much money do I have? And then six months from now, I got to apply for this thing. Mm -hmm. And I loved when I was talking to you, Stuart, earlier um, this week, where you were even mentioning about your visa process yeah. mm -hmm. and all of the things that you have to think about as you're going through the job process. And now you have a job and now you're in a different state. Mm -hmm. 
And although it's more diverse here, you still have applications to go yep. through. You can't see your family. You were telling me about, you know, how difficult and how lonely of a process it is to talk to your family that you are not allowed to see. Because as she said, you can leave, but you can't come back. Exactly. What does that do? Like, how, how do you manage that? I don't know if you can manage it. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you just, it's like this mutual understanding you have with your family. And mm. you just it's sort of like, it's the reality of life. Like, I have OPT, that's the optional practical training. Mm -hmm. But like, I had applied for a visa. Mm -hmm. But then, like, I had to cancel my appointment because, like, even the technically, it's supposed to be your care. Mm. Like, I have a job. I have... A master's degree, I should be fine. Right. <laughs> in theory. But then, like, you know, like, when you get all these stories from other people who have done it, and, like, you go to, the like, the embassy and they can tell you, okay, you know, for some reason, like, somebody you find is not the right person or, mm -hmm. like, they would just say no. And then you went out of the country. Now you've lost everything because you le left all your things here. Wow. So you can't come back. And so you're like stuck. So yeah. at the end of the day, you have to decide like, okay, it's better for me to stay here mm -hmm. and try to walk through all these things rather than trying to go home. And so like, you just, you just, you're just there. Like you keep on. And then at the end of the day, I have like, after like six months or seven months, I have to reapply for my renewal, right. which is still the same things. Like they've just increased the, to $500 or something like that. You apply for it, but then you don't know, like, if you're going to get it. Like, yeah. it's not like... Oh, it's not one, guaranteed. Yeah, it's not guaranteed that right. you're going to get it. And so you just don't know. And the system is like, they are not responsive. They had some issues with their website and you try, they say, okay, this is how you apply. But then you apply. It took me almost two weeks to just get my photo validated wow. in this thing mm -hmm. wow. and like people were having all these issues and you ask them and somebody is like they have not read the email it's like i sent i specifically said what the problem was mm -hmm. how, what what the problem is but they just say oh you should do this is required because this is it but then i'm like okay i'm getting a problem with <laughs> like my photo i can't just upload it right. giving me an error could you do it and then like oh, you, we need the portal because you have to do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it affects your life in every way. Yeah, you're just like, you're just there and like, you just don't know. Right. And then as new presidents come in, as yeah. things change, you don't know if you're going to stay or you have to go. Right. And so you keep on being prepared for a day when they will just kick you out <laughs> because you just don't know. And then once that, then once you've, of OPT, you have to get H-1B visa, and that is tied to only your job. And so that means I can't change any job. And probably <laughs> can't get fired too, right? Like you can't get fired oh, otherwise. They can fire you. <laughs> yeah, you would just lose your status. Yeah, you yeah. just lose your status. status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And once, yeah. You're fired, yeah. Uh, once you're fired, then you're stuck because right. you can only be deported. Right. And like, so all That's this so thing, much. Yeah, and... Once that is done, then you have to go through the green card application, which is also another process. Right. And, and a long process. Oh, God. It yeah. is a long process. So you're like never done mm -hmm. uh, until when 
I don't know if you ever done because yeah. then you have to do the citizenship mm-hmm. like test. Yeah, you, yeah, and then mm-hmm. I don't know. So do you build up a certain sense of resiliency? Because mm-hmm. it it sounds like there almost has to be a part of your brain where if you're constantly thinking about this, you'll go insane. Mm-hmm. So is there a part of you that's like, I just have to build up this natural resiliency. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. You just learn. Like mm-hmm. it, yeah. I you have to be it, your own you, you, researcher. Yeah, you, are, yeah <laughs> you just have to sort of start feeling that, okay, this is, if this is what I want, yeah. then this is how I'm going to fight it. Right. And like, I think once you've gone through, and maybe that's why people become defensive about mm-hmm. um, when other people come in, like when they're coming, because like, I feel like, okay, I've worked so hard. Like maybe I should be like, this is my reward and nobody's going to, like, I don't want other people to take yeah. it away from me. That's their own yeah. trauma response to, yeah, to all of all the things the, that the, they have the, to deal with. The things that they have dealt with. And so to me, I, I keep on trying to just keep an open mind. Yeah. Like I know, like uh, we have this saying in Luganda, like, which is like, mm-hmm. which means that you staying in a garage does not make you a car. <laughs> and like there are no cars that are made in a garage. Mm-hmm. Okay, depends, but <laughs> for the most part, for the most yeah. part, they are not. And so that to me keeps me a little bit grounded mm. because I know even though I'm in the US, I'm not American, mm-hmm. and I will never be an American. Even though I would like, if I became citizenship wise, I'm still Ugandan, yeah, and the, that's where I come from. And so me, that helps me to understand, okay, now since I'm, non, I'm not an American, I'm not a car, so that means I have to just try to behave the way people are going to treat me. Mm-hmm. And you try to change as the tides come in. And that helps, like to me, it has been helpful because then I don't develop so much hatred yeah. for the people. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you look at what is going on, like, you know, you have to do all these things and you you have to study. You study very well. You pass your exams and you do all these things. And then somebody says, you can't get this job even though you want it. Right. You know? And so then you, if you're going through all these things, you become so... You, hateful. Yeah, hateful about like, why are they doing this to me? Like, mm-hmm. I have worked. I have done what they told me I should be. Right. I am a good person. So, technically, I should be getting this. It's a reward that I should be getting. Mm-hmm. But if you're not getting it, then you become so defensive and you so for me it helps me to just stay calm and know that it's a process like Mm -hmm. if I want to stay here I would have to do it but then also the biggest other thing is that I know my country is still there Mm -hmm. you know like I know I have a place to go whereas like other people who were born here Mm -hmm. and they don't have any other country like they have no yeah they don't know anything and so now if you're 40 years and they are going to deport you back right. to where? Right. To who? Then you like, have to start over. Yeah, you have to start over and you don't know anybody. Your your family is here. So how are you going to yeah. like, start all over again? And so it just feels that four-letter word, fair, yeah. which to me, I know it's, it's, it's an illusion that there's mm. no fair, fair. 
Wow, the gem drops in that part of the conversation alone were so good. And here's the thing. If you turn on Fox News or speak with conservatives in this country, they make it seem that achieving citizenship is easy and immigrants are just pouring into the country, stealing all the jobs. That couldn't be further from the truth. For those of you who may not be aware, between 2003 and 2018, over 4.5 million foreign nationals were deported from the United States. Unsurprisingly, some of the states with the highest deportation rates have the highest immigrant populations in the U.S. and are known as immigration hubs. In 2020, over 518,000 unauthorized immigrants were apprehended and over 239,000 were removed. Now, many people think that under a democratically-led White House, the border restrictions are lax, but the Obama administration oversaw the removal of so many undocumented immigrants from America during his presidency, he earned the name Deporter-in-Chief. In fact, during his first term, Mr. Obama deported over 60% more people than Trump. Things aren't always as they seem. That's absolutely right. Both parties have been complicit in the deportation of thousands of people each year, and the policies are only getting stricter. So as we got back into the conversation, we finished out the show with one question. Did our parents make the right decision moving to the U.S.? It's really not an easy question to answer, but the discussion was so powerful that it really made me think of my own answer and how it feels to be an immigrant in this country and all of the challenges that come with that reality. And I will admit that as a child of immigrants, I understand the difficulty in answering the question. The immigration journey is layered with feelings of hope and despair that we don't often get to hear about or unpack. So let's jump back in. I want to ask you, Yancy, since you are a child of immigrants rather than an immigrant yourself, I asked this question of all the people that wanted to be on this episode. Unfortunately, we only had so many seats, um, so we couldn't fit everybody in. But for the most part, there was a divide. When I asked the question, do you think your parents made the right choice in coming to the United States, or would you have preferred that they stayed in their home country? It was very divided. It, some were like, yes, they made the right choice. I have a lot more opportunity now. I was able to get an education. I have a good job, et cetera. And then there were others that were like, I'm still poor. We're still living in a one-bedroom apartment. I wasn't able to graduate college. You know, I don't have a good job. I don't know if they would have been better off in their home country than if they had come here. I feel like my experience isn't really that great. So... You know, as children of immigrants, our parents make choices based on their experience, but we also have our experience. Yancy, mm -hmm. from your point of view, do you think that your parents made the right choice? I would say that I'm very grateful to be able to say that where we are right now, that we ended up pretty all right. And I would say that they did and they had to, mm -hmm. right? In the 80s during the conflict in El Salvador, I mean, there there was no option to stay, right? Women were being raped, men were being recruited and killed, mm. right? So it, there was no other choice for them, yeah, right? And I think that they're they're they've worked so hard. I think I got emotional during our interview, and I'm like, yeah, it was you know, beautiful. Like you know, um, they just worked so hard, right? And they were they've been able now to create to build out there. So they actually never decided to buy 
a house out here. They never really truly wanted to invest in that American dream because I think they understood that at the end of the day, when they retire, you know, this isn't home for them, mm. right? Home is in El Salvador mm-hmm. for them, right? And interestingly enough, right, my parents came from very different social classes in El Salvador, right? So my mother was like well off, they had land, right? My father did not, right? Mm -hmm. So when they immigrated to the States, it was very, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon where their kind of social classes leveled out, Mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden they come here and guess what? We're both the the, same. We're in the same (laughs) boat, you know what I mean? And they were able to kind of band together and through their partnership really, um, you know, saved a lot, right? Um, Were really those model kind of immigrants, right? Where they knew that they couldn't fuck up, mm-hmm. right? Because if they did, like that was it, mm-hmm. you know? I was able to get my education, right? And so I think like it's interesting, like as a child of of, an immig- of immigrants, like, you know, this notion of kind of what you were speaking to, Elizabeth, like both a love and appreciation for the life and the opportunities that were given to me and also like a deep sense of like resentfulness and like Mm. true like hatred I think for what Mm -hmm. America stands for and how it was created and like the inception of these systems that really go back so far you know and then trying to like connect to like my ancestry and like my roots in El Salvador and then going there and then being otherized Mm -hmm. right as like Mm -hmm. American right and never really truly being able to understand what it would Mm -hmm. be like to grow up there Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a really complex question, right? I don't know. I don't know. Right. But, um, I think that we were fortunate enough now that, you know, they're, they're in a place where they're going to be able to move back and really live out their beautiful retirement dream. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for that every day. Yeah. Does anyone else want to answer that loaded question? (laughs) I'll go as quick as I can because I know I talk a lot, but I think I am. I'm kind of like in the same boat as you because yeah. from my my experience, my decisions that my mom made. So I think to answer your question, if my mom made that right choice, I still don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up, especially more recently as I kind of grew into adulthood, um, I think I've had a lot of animosity and a lot of resentment towards my mom because from what I understand, and I came to the United States when I was one. So I have no recollection of Mexico whatsoever. So I can't really say like what my life would have been in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But also from what I know, from what my mom has told, um, and you know, like Latina moms, they kind of tend to like over-exaggerate. I also (laughs) don't even know if it's true. No idea what you're talking about. Never. (laughs) You know, apparently I'm from San Luis Potosí, which is in this. Really? That's where my husband's from. Huasteca. I don't know where that is. Uh, okay. Well, do you, okay, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wow. all I know that from San Luis Potosí is that it's beautiful, and I've seen Google pictures. Yeah. Um, but it's in the middle of, like, Mexico, kind of, like, towards the tail a little bit, maybe. And it looks like a Yorkie on a map. That's all I really know. <laughs> so the reason why my mom came here is she separated from my dad, and she did have family out here. Um, and then um, – so I, I would also maybe consider myself, like, third-generation American mm. because my grandfather came to United States um, – I don't know what year – 70s, 80s, no, 60s, 70s, somewhere. And he had a bakery here, and then uh, his daughter came, not my mom, but his daughter. So we've had a blend in my mm-hmm. family. And then, but I just happened to be born in Mexico, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of like third generation American, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm also a DACA recipient, but um, <laughs> DACA cutie. DACA. But, <laughs> 
but you know, my apparently we had a good life. My mom was college educated in Mexico, so she had a good job. She worked for like in the government in Mexico. So mm. all of our experiences are different, and the choices why my mom came are hers and yeah. hers alone. And you know, she did have family out here, so. You also have to think it's the 90s, mm-hmm. so maybe things were a little bit easier at the time where she could work. Mm-hmm. Things like E-Verified didn't exist at the time, so she did have family. So maybe for her it was kind of like, yeah, we're going to be okay. We do have family. I want to leave my husband and have a better life mm-hmm. opportunity, right? All of that. Mm-hmm. But then life happens, and yeah. administrations come into play, and barriers get put into place. And then I'm kind of now stuck in this position where... I have to now plan ahead and think, okay, I'm a full adult at this point. I have income. I need, I have rent. I Do I want to have kids? I don't know. Am I able to have kids because of my status and really take care of another human? Like all of those things kind of run in my brain. But at kind of like what you were saying, it's like, well, this is life. This is the cards that we've been handled, that we've been handed. And we have to do the best. And in the meantime, we're going to try our best and yeah. finesse our way because my mom was able to figure it out. Yeah. She mm-hmm. came not speaking the language, not having like a traditional American education, mm-hmm. not having a lot of money. And I have an iPhone, a college education that can speak to languages and really good networking. So <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So I'm still kind of, you know, figuring that out, whether yeah. she made the right decision. But as far as I know, um, we're here. She's good. I'm good. She's on her way to becoming a green card holder. So, you know, things are, things are looking okay. And whatever happens with DACA, well, we'll get to that point when we get there. So I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. In Puerto Rico, we call it bregando. You just got to keep on going. Keep going. It is a very, it's a tough question. And it's actually one that, you know, I think I told you a bit about my work in Guadalajara and yeah, it's it's been one that has been very in terms of my identity too that I've I've struggled with right so I was born in Guadalajara came to the United States when I was two right mm-hmm. luckily I was able to derive citizenship because my abuelita was born here but they took her back to Puebla and she passed it on to my dad who passed it on to me so like also this weird like immigrant but also like maybe third generation mm-hmm. American thing going on it also goes to show just like the fluidity of migration, right? Mm-hmm. But specifically between even more Mexico and the United States. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my parents left because of one, economic necessity, and two, you know, this was in the late 80s, or, well, late 80s, early 90s, when Jalisco was experiencing a lot of drug violence, right? Mm-hmm. So they decided to come here. And we faced a lot of adversity, right? We experienced homelessness. My dad was disabled, wasn't able to hold down a job. You know, my family experience was violent, right? Mm. Um, but then there was a lot of privileges and other immigrant family, like community members that really helped my family, right, mm. in times of need. And I do believe that things happen for a reason. A lot of the work that I do is motivated because of my own personal experiences and that of my family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think a lot about the women in my lineage, right, mm. and the fact of what I'm doing as a as a Latina, as a professor, right? Mm-hmm. To go back to my mom's pueblo, Ciudad Valle, San Luis Potosí, and tell them what I do, and my family's predominantly male, right? Mm-hmm. It feels good to kind of stick it to them. <laughs> I love them, but you know, just like being that cousin that's from the States, who was like, mm-hmm. oh, si, mira la, si, so todo esto. I was like, yeah. yeah, and I'm proud as one of the few women in my family to mm-hmm. say that I did this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I actually didn't go back to Guadalajara for the first time until I turned 30, which was five years ago. And But I go back in a very privileged sense, right? I go back as a visiting professor at a university down there, also engaging in immigrant rights work. But I will say that experience has kind of given me a sense of like what my life could have been in the most privileged of senses, mm -hmm. right? Had I been college educated and able to land a job of that sort. Um, and all of my, the majority of my family is in Mexico too, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I feel like I missed out on that, like being able to grow up with them, mm -hmm. right? And that proximity. Mm -hmm. And also mm -hmm. the cultural. And the cultural, yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, like you say, we go back home, right? And, and you're the American. Exactly, then we're other. And I was like, yeah. I'm an American? What? What do you mean, right? But then you realize that really, you are. Yeah. There, there is a huge cultural difference. So it's, you know, it's been, it's been very interesting, but I will say too that, you know, there's that saying, the ni de aquí ni de allá, right? But I also fully believe that there's power in that, mm -hmm. right? And that's what I tell a lot of my students too, especially when we do this work, you know, is that it's that understanding, right, of having to deal with this in between. And then sometimes we feel like we're robbed from experiences on both sides, but nonetheless, what we have is unique, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's the way I like to, to see it. That's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. Stuart, do yeah. you feel oh. like you're, you've made the right decision? Um, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. It's, but in, uh, it's a work in progress. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> like, um, like when I was still in Uganda, uh, my, one of my best friends were at school and he just said this comment, which I still think about today. He's like, why weren't our parents taking us slaves to the U.S. Um, so that we don't have to live this like hard life? Mm. And like in the moment, like I was like, yeah, I think we should have taken because like when we are told about the U.S., we are told about this ideal place mm. where there are streets of gold. Mm -hmm. Everyone is yeah. like Bill Gates and <laughs> everyone drives the fancy cars. You Everyone's know? rich. Everyone exactly. has a house. Yeah. Everything's and so, easier. Yes. Like everything should be perfect. And so when I came here and I see like all these people on the streets and like it's so cold, but life is so hard. Mm. And now I get, I am grateful. Mm. I am grateful that I was able to experience the other part of Uganda, which was not good, which made me come here. Mm. But then I also see the U.S., mm -hmm. which is not this perfect, mm -hmm. where I picture perfect with things of in the movies, where everyone is like going out, mm -hmm. having fun every day. It's not the fantasy. No, yeah. it's not. And so there, like, I'm like, okay. I am grateful for this experience because then I can choose mm. who I want to be. Yeah. I can choose where, I, technically, I can <laughs> choose where I can be, uh, like, in some years to come. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I will be able to choose where I can be. Yeah. And that gives me so much power, even though in the moment it doesn't feel like it. It yeah. doesn't feel like I am winning at this point. But I know I like, I know I like some parts in the U.S., I know I don't like some other parts. I <laughs> uh, you know where I have to stay and like how do I stay in my land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when I go back to Uganda, I still know. Like in Uganda, like as you, when you guys go back, like you're seen as an American, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone is like chocolate. Like who has the chocolate and you have to give them the chocolate and like that is the best thing you could give everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, Chocolate is very cheap here, mm. but then there it feels like it's this big thing. Wow. And so you like, like, you just like feel like you're a little bit step 
one step higher than everybody because you have this other experience in the US, which is good sometimes, but then if you don't use it well, right. it is it becomes dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I have I feel like I have a similar experience where um I grew up in my home country, so I know that I can always go back. Mm-hmm. And I do go back often, several times a year, and that in itself is a privilege. Um, and, you know, there have been times where I have felt like, oh, yo soy la gringa aquí. Like, I'm, you know, sometimes I lose my words when I'm speaking or, you know, a little bit of that American accent comes out. And when I live here, I very much know I am not American. And I think in my youth, I used to think of myself as that because that was the fighter in me. It was like, I'm American. Yeah, I'm American. I'll celebrate July 4th. I'll do all these things, mm-hmm. right? I'll be exactly what you Same. want me to be. Yeah. Yes. I, th- yeah. That was my assimilation. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I feel very Puerto Rican. Mm. Very, very proud of my roots. And that is also something that has been instilled in us because of colonialism and in particular U.S. imperialism. Mm. Um, So it it is a very interesting thing when I think about the choice that my parents made. You know, if I think about answering my own question, (laughs) (laughs) I think that it was the best choice for them. And now I have my own individual experience and I have to choose how I want to move forward. And so I really, really appreciate all of you being here with me today. This has been such a great experience, even just chatting with you offline. Um, I love putting together this episode and just getting everybody here has been so special, just not only because I have the immigrant experience, but because I know there's so few places where we can tell our story. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you were able to do it in your own words, not have anybody else kind of you know, edit it and tell your story for you is is really cool. So thank you for joining me today. Well, thank <laughs> you for having creating us. this. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this conversation meant so much to me. We hope that you enjoyed it too. That's it for us today. And be sure to listen to part one. If you haven't already, just go back and check it out. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from so that you don't miss any of our episodes this month. Don't forget to follow us on social media at The Stranger Fruit and let us know what you thought of today's conversation. We love hearing from you. Many people don't know that the podcast algorithm does favor those with a high amount of reviews. So please be sure to let us know what you think of today's episode by leaving a five-star review and get us in good favor with the algorithm gods. Until next time, peace.